dewy fresh on the beat. Welcome to the All or Nothing podcast, where we bring to you companies and CEOs that are changing the game. And I'm your host, Rodrigo Ballone. Now, we all know that our legal system has a ton of problems, but our next guest is doing something about it. He's created a platform that solves two of the biggest issues. On one side, he helps legal clients find the best lawyer for them based on their situation. And on the flip side, he helps lawyers grow their business by finding them new clients. Let's welcome the co-founder of Court Buddy, James Jones Jr. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me, and I'm uh, really excited about doing this interview, and uh, and I'm just happy to be here. James, we're glad to have you on the show. You started your career as a lawyer. Initially, what attracted you to this profession? Uh, good question. So, um, I, I the my earliest experience with the legal system uh, was when I was about seven years old, and uh, my parents took me to uh, courthouse in Tampa. Uh, we, I, I was able to observe up front um, lawyers in action, if you will. Um, and what that means is, um, it was. I, I now know, over you know, looking back, that it was a uh, it was a criminal case. Um, but at the time, what I saw was a judge in a black robe. I saw uh, a lawyer dressed in a suit, and I saw a defendant that was in handcuffs. Um, and so, what I saw this lawyer do was was just something that left an indelible mark on me. Um, and, and it's one of the earliest exposures I had to the legal uh, industry and to the justice system. So uh, this lawyer was articulating all kinds of statutes, spewing out all sorts of case law. And to me, that was, that was something that I hadn't seen before. And it was, I was just so fascinated with the, with the seemingly um, ease in which this attorney was able to cite facts, cite and make arguments, and um, it seemed like it was just, you know, from memory. And uh, also the judge uh, being able to, to, uh, to, to hear, the, hear the lawyer's arguments and make a decision, and from the defendant's side, uh, seeing this, 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 this person uh, that actually in that, in that particular case, he wasn't even represented by a lawyer, um, but essentially have the judge make a ruling, and it happened to be an adverse ruling um, against him. Seeing that whole process play out was something that I saw at the age of seven, and um, it was just something that carried with me all the way throughout, um, you know, school and obviously after college, you know, but going back to that experience at at the age of seven um, is what led me to my legal career. Well, running a law practice and growing that business is one thing, but building a platform to help others grow is another. So what sparked the idea for Court Buddy? Yeah, so uh, I, like I mentioned before, I practiced law for 10 years. Uh, I'm a licensed uh, Florida attorney. And during my practice, during my time practicing law, I was litigated, which means that I went to court all the time. You know, I made arguments on behalf of, of my clients, um, uh, persuading the judges to decide in my client's favor. And so all across the country, uh, every morning, there are judges to have what you call motion calendar hearings. Okay, these motion calendar hearings are about five minutes apiece. 
you know, judges on average have about 30 or 40 cases every morning of these motion calendar hearings. So in the process of waiting to go in front of the judge, I would just look around and see other people that had to go in front of the judge. And some people were nervous. Some people were, you can just tell on their face that they were unsure of what was going to happen. Um, some people had a look of like fright on their face. And uh, so I just would strike up small conversations with people uh, just to essentially ease that nervousness and, and calm that, that, um, that, that tension that they seem to be displaying. So in the process of talking to them, uh, you know, they knew I was a lawyer or they, they would ask me about, well, whether or not I was a lawyer. And I, I would tell them yes, and then they would tell me about their case, and I would review their paperwork. Sometimes it was handwritten, handwritten paperwork or, or, you know, paperwork that was handwritten, motions that were handwritten. And I would ask them, well, you know, this is a, based on what I'm seeing, this is a pretty serious case. Why didn't you hire a lawyer? And so the response pretty much across the board was, well, lawyers are expensive, and I don't want to pay $10,000 in a retainer for a lawyer, and I don't know what I'm going to get. And so that's something I just filed in the back of my mind because I kept hearing it over and over and over again. And so on the other side of the spectrum, um, just as a lawyer that started his own practice uh, for, for three years out of the 10 years that I practiced law, um, I had no idea how to get clients. And, you know, everyone starts off with zero. So uh, first day opening up my law firm, zero clients. What I did was uh, brainstorm ways to 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 get clients and to talk to people that had successful solo practice uh, solo practices and ask them how they were how they were able to get clients. So I just took my friends to lunch. I took uh, colleagues that I met along the way, took them to lunch, and I asked them uh, during lunch, "Hey, how did you get your first clients? I mean, you seem to have a successful and thriving practice. How did you get your first clients?" So the response was. Things like, you know, well, I took out a $100,000 billboard or I took out a, I did a radio spot for $50,000 and, or, or I, I uh, did a TV spot for $35,000 or $40,000. And so the first thing I would say to myself is, wow, this is something that I, could, I can't afford right now. You know, I'm just starting out. So my follow-up question to, to that, when they, when they would explain the different marketing channels, my follow-up question was, well, how do you know that particular channel? was the one that actually got you the clients or, or initially started getting you the, the first few clients. And the response was, well, my door opened up and I just figured that that was the reason why, because I took out this TV ad. So it sounds cliche, but it was this whole gotta be a better way um, to, uh, to approach lawyer marketing uh, that's, that's effective, as well as bridging the gap for people that I was encountering in court. And we're not talking about poor people. We're not talking about the wealthy. Poor people, uh, when I say poor, I mean low income. Uh, there are resources. There, there's legal aid. There's pro bono. For the wealthy, they're able to afford whatever attorney that they want, of course, because they're wealthy. We're talking about people that are making roughly $35,000 to $100,000 a year. These are the people that I encountered over and over again that were going to court unrepresented, and they thought that lawyers were expensive, and that's why they didn't hire a lawyer. So those experiences uh, combined is what led to the creation of Court Buddy. You put a lot of time and effort in one vision, which was to become a lawyer. But somewhere down the line, you decided to pivot and go down another path into the unknown. Can you talk about your mindset going through that transition, knowing that if you weren't successful, you could set yourself back a few years? 
yeah, I, I think uh, a large part of it was understanding that I'm just one person. There's only so much I can do. And because of the, uh, the amount of people that I was encountering on a regular basis that were telling me the same answer and over and over again, you know, I can't afford a lawyer. You know, I can't pay $10,000. I can't take out a second mortgage. I can't, I mean, all these different reasons as to why they can't hire a lawyer. When, although their cases were very complex, you know, or, or, or it was clear that they needed a lawyer, at least from my vantage point, you know, understanding that this is something that I, you know, I can't do by myself, as well as understanding that as a solo attorney that couldn't take out a $100,000 TV ad, let alone a $1,000 TV ad at the time, um, or a $500 TV ad, um, understanding that there has to be other lawyers that are similarly situated that I could possibly help, right? So that's one of the beautiful things about tech. You know, using technology to solve problems and create value in people's lives. So I started focusing on that. And you're right. I mean, this is something that it could have easily gone a different way. And then I would have had to start over again. And, 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 and now you're back at square one, you know, whether, uh, whether it's getting a job at a law firm or, you know, starting your law practice on your own all over again, jumpstarting it all over again. So it's, it's something that I decided to take a, a, a chance on, take a risk. Obviously, it was a big risk, um, but it, it's been paying off. What I like about what you're doing is that you could be the best lawyer in the world, but that doesn't mean you're good at getting clients or growing your business. Court Buddy helps with that. So can you break down why a lawyer should consider using your service and how it can help them build their business? Yeah, so it, it's, it's a lot of reasons. Um, number one, lawyers like to focus on practicing law, right? Uh, whether it's going to court, whether it's preparing legal documents, whether it's drafting contracts, whether it's reviewing case law, researching statutes, that's what lawyers are trained to do. So uh, what lawyers are not trained to do is marketing, is selling their services, or trying to actively get new clients to grow a law practice or at least to, uh, to, to become a partner in a law firm. Those are things that lawyers are not trained to do. That's something that is not lawyer's fault. It's not a lawyer's fault. It's just that those are things that uh, lawyers weren't trained or weren't taught in law school uh, to do. So what Corpuddy does is we provide steady streams of clients to these lawyers, uh, primarily solo attorneys, primarily um, attorneys that are in small law firms. We provide them with steady streams of clients, and we go beyond that. We also ensure that they can get paid for everything that they do for the clients through our platform. So, for example, um, you know, the way our platform is set up is it's a la carte legal services at flat rates. So a single court appearance, for example, um, for a divorce case could be $300. That client has been instantly matched with this attorney, and the attorney creates a task that says, you know, single court appearance, uh, you know, talking about the date, the amount, $300. And then that client receives that alert from that attorney that I, you know, I, I now have this attorney that can uh, that can go to court for me for $300. That client funds that task. That attorney gets paid. So 
a lot of times when it comes to um, to not just the marketing aspect, but also the administrative aspects of running a law practice, you have to figure out ways to collect fees from clients. That's one of the number one issues that lawyers have when it comes to uh, practicing law, at least the business side of law, uh, fee collecting from clients. And so what we've eliminated for lawyers is the, um, the, the sending out the invoices every month and hoping and praying that you don't have to discount your fees or that the client will, you know, forget to pay it or not pay it at all or pay some of it. Um, so that part is eliminated. The communications aspect is, is eliminated too. So because we have uh, Court Buddy Chat, which allows for instant messaging, it allows for, uh, for in-app phone calls and video conferencing, lawyers can actually be in court or they can be on vacation. They can, uh, they can pretty much be anywhere in the world and they don't have to worry about being in their office uh, trying to you know, do work for a client. They can uh, have a consultation with the client through our app. So the communication aspect is there too. Uh, so there's fee collecting that's obviously generating the, 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 the clients for them and the communication aspects um, as well. So, uh, and then now we've introduced uh, in, the, in the last quarter or the, or the last, uh, in March, uh, this is now April. So in March, we introduced financing for clients. So now we have uh, medium-sized and large law firms that are now sending clients to Court Buddy to get approved for funding or financing so that they can pay the, uh, the lawyer's fees. So again, you know, fee collecting is an issue, uh, marketing, um, as well as communication. So we're taking care of all of that. You're definitely right about that. I have a lawyer in my family and her two biggest pain points are one, finding new clients and two, collecting past due payments. So to prep for this interview, I told my family member about Court Buddy and what you guys do and she immediately saw value, but she did have some questions. The first was, what was the cost to become a member? And the second was, because Court Buddy is a new company, how are you guys able to provide a consistent stream of new clients to the lawyers? So can you shed some light on that? Yeah, so um, I'll start with the second question first. Um, of course, when you have a business, we are for profit, um, which means that, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a typical, uh, you know, we offer a service, we offer a product in exchange for, 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 uh, for money. So what we do with respect to um, to continuing to have clients on our platform is clients understand the value that they receive. Instead of paying ten thousand dollars and then receiving a monthly bill that says, you know, I just you, I, you just spent five thousand dollars of your ten thousand dollar retainer on phone calls, on on um, on emails that were sent out, on court appearances, so forth and so on they are now able to take a piecemeal approach to their case. So just using the family law case as an example, uh, if a client, you know, has to file, uh, file a motion in court or file an initial petition, they don't have to pay $10,000 to an attorney now. What they can do is they can say, I can pay $300 for the filing of this petition, and then I can come back later once this petition has been filed, 20 days later or 15 days later, and I can utilize that attorney through the platform uh, again, and I can just continue to pay for each task that this attorney that this attorney does for me. 
Okay, so that's the repetitive nature of our uh, of our of our uh, platform. You know, clients can come back over and over again. The average case uh, litigates for about two years before it gets to trial. Okay, so that's that's a long time for a client to come back over and over and over again. And we'll just use one lawyer as an example. This one lawyer is not just doing work for this one client. Again, this lawyer is getting a steady stream of clients. So this lawyer is doing a lot of different tasks for several different clients. That's business generation for that lawyer. Clients are happy because clients are getting discounts. They're, they have a system that allows them to make payments and to take a piecemeal approach to, to their cases. And lawyers are happy because they're getting a steady stream of business. So that's the answer to uh, your second question. And I can't remember what your first question was. It was, um, is there an investment to start? Do they have to pay to, to, to get access to the clients? Oh, yes, 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 yes. So, um, so it's actually free for attorneys to use it. Um, and what we do is, because we handle all the payments, the lawyers, and, and these, this is, this, there's, a, a, you know, regulations in different jurisdictions um, across the country about fee splitting. So what we've done is uh, lawyers get 100% of their fees, and we take on the consumer side um, a percentage of what the consumers are paying the attorneys. Um, you know, so in, in, just as an example, if there's a court appearance for $100, the um, attorney is receiving that entire amount, and the client is paying $15, um, and that comes from the client side or the consumer side uh, for for essentially us protecting their money. So that that's that's how that model set up. So it's free for attorneys. Now, of course, they can upgrade if if they wanted to continue to receive on a regular basis a steady stream of clients. Then they can sign up for a membership. Um, so it is a subscription model, and the membership starts at $99 a month. But other than that, if they just are, are content with uh, with one free client, then they can, you know, stay with the free membership. Funding is a part of business that every company has to think about when it's trying to grow and increase profits. The problem is the process of finding a lender and getting approved currently sucks. So if you're looking for a way to get the funding you need quick and easy, you should check out Cabbage. Cabbage helps small business owners get funding within minutes. You can apply online or from your phone. The days of convincing a banker that loaning you money is a good investment is over. So don't wait. If you're looking to secure funding for your business today, I'm talking about in less than five minutes. Visit cabbage.com slash all or nothing. There's no cost to apply. And as an all or nothing listener, when you qualify for funding, you also get a $50 Visa gift card that you could use wherever you want. So go now to cabbage with a K, K-A-B-B-A-G-E dot com slash all or nothing. I just want to let you know that this line of credit is subject to credit approval. See the terms and conditions. All cabbage business loans are issued by the Celtic Bank, a Utah chartered industrial bank member of FDIC. Most companies are either B2B or B2C, but Court Buddy services both. You provide another route for people that are looking for legal services, and you provide a new way for lawyers to find new clients. What are some of the challenges and opportunities you see meeting the needs of both businesses and customers? Yeah, uh, we, we are 
we, we consider ourselves B to B to C. Um, so uh, for it's it's for for lawyers. I mean, obviously they're the B of the B to B. It's really just understanding what their needs are. Uh, you know, so there's a constant feedback loop where we're asking lawyers, um, you know, what are some of the things that keep you up at night? Um, you know, what are some of the challenges you're having as you're, you know, setting up your practice, um, as you're, as you're thinking about, you know, a five-year roadmap where you want your law practice to be. So just understanding, um, you know, what lawyers are looking for in terms of their own personal growth, uh, as well as their law firm's growth. And then on the consumer side, continuing to understand, uh, you know, what their needs are, uh, because the needs are different. In business, everybody wants fast growth, but with growth comes new obstacles. What advice would you give someone when it comes to taking the steps needed to grow, but also at the same time, making sure that the quality doesn't take a hit? I mean, I guess that's a loaded question. Um, a company should always be growing, right? If, if you're not growing, you're contracting and you're essentially dying as a company. So I think it really depends on the type of company you have. What missions, uh, what mission you have for your company, what your goals are. It also depends on whether or not you've received outside capital, because once you start getting investors involved, then the the goals change, or or the the direction may change, the direction of your company may change. So I think it really depends on which stage you're in with respect to your company. If you're brand new, just starting out, then uh, growth can look something like you know, talking to uh, initial initial uh, customers or, or, or prospective prospective customers to find out if they would use your product or your service. So that can be, you know, and if someone signs on, that's growth, of course. If someone decides to to use it, especially if they decide to use it for uh, and pay you pay you to do it, pay you to use it. So that can be a form of growth. Now, obviously, if you're uh, a company that's been around for years and you're well established, uh, you're you know beyond the uh, the growth stage or the early stages, then that growth looks a little bit different. Having the right people around you could be the difference between thriving or going out of business. What are some of the things that you focus on when it comes to building a team? Uh, I think it starts with the interviewing process. I mean, I, I as the CEO of Court Buddy, I am pretty much hands on. When, with respect to recruiting and hiring. Um, so, uh, you know, when it comes to team building, it, it's important to have, number one, top candidates, you know, top talent, but also talent that fits within your company culture, whatever that may be. So with Court Buddy, we're, very, we're a very collaborative, uh, open doors type of company. We like to share ideas. We're very innovative. We're very driven. We're hardworking. So those are the types of values that I expect to see uh, in the people that we are, are hiring and recruiting. And so I think uh, from my vantage point, it's, it's really important to be hands-on uh, because especially at the early stages, I and mean, we're still considered like an early stage company. So, uh, and I, I've heard stories about some, some, uh, some of the larger companies uh, that have, you know, e e even if the CEO is not directly involved with the initial round of interviews, before, that employee becomes a part of that company, they at least meet with the CEO once um, prior to starting. So uh, I, I think that is the way it should be. It should be a situation where um, 
you know, the, the CEO or the president um, is able to meet with the candidates and just to make sure that you're bringing in the top talent, but also making sure that, that particular employee um, or that, that particular uh, talent is, is the right fit for your company. Because if, if you bring in the wrong person or the wrong people, uh, it's, it's only a matter of time that it's going to sink some department and hopefully not the entire company, but it could sink the entire company too. Uh, so I think in terms of growing a company and, and focusing on team building, um, from my vantage point, it's important to be hands-on, especially in the early stages. You've acquired funding to help scale your business. That's a skill that not everybody has. What advice would you give someone who's looking to go that route? Uh, I think first and foremost, you have to decide if, if taking outside capital um, is, is something that will help your business get to the next level. Um, you know, for it, you're right. It is a skill. It, it's something that uh, it, it's, but it's something that can be learned. I think uh, in, in terms of understanding how the fundraising process works, you have to understand what investors are looking for when they're considering making an investment in a business. So, I mean, that could be uh, a huge market opportunity. Uh, it could be, you know, maybe the business is based in tech or or is tech enabled. It could be um, maybe the business has a social impact angle. So it can be different. Uh, there, there are different reasons why an investor will invest in your business. And so I think the, the biggest advice that I can give is, uh, you know, put together a plan. If you plan on taking outside capital um, and, or are looking for outside investors, you have to have a strategy. You have to have a plan. Because if, you, if you're approaching an investor, let's say your business is, is um, it's a life sciences business. Well, it doesn't make any sense to approach an investor that invests, invests in, uh, in SaaS companies, right? Especially if your business has nothing to do with SaaS. So, um, so understanding what type of investor or what that, that particular investor invests in and looks for when they're making or deciding to make investments is important. Um, figuring out how your business is different from from competitors or, or potential competitors. Um, how are you able to scale your business? Is there a global market opportunity or, you know, if, if there's a, if the country is large enough, it, is, it a, is it a regional or national opportunity? Understanding, um, you know, all of those elements, all those factors is something that you have to sit down and, 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 and figure out prior to, to, uh, to deciding whether or not you want to take outside capital. I think the other thing is understanding that you're going to have a lot of no's. There will be investors and uh, there will be a lot of investors that will tell you no. And it's not just going to stop in the beginning when you first start uh, fundraising. It's going to happen throughout your entire time, uh, every level of fundraising. And it's not even just the fundraising aspect. It could be trying to nail down a government contract or a private contract, or trying, if, you're, if, if your company focuses on enterprise, trying to get a business as a client, you're gonna hear a lot of no's. So within the context of investors, you have to have tough skin. So, uh, you know, prepare yourself mentally for, for, uh, for, the, for the ride. It's, it's, it's a tough ride. It's, it's, I mean, there's a reason why I think there's a stat that says only or less than 2% of startups uh, ever get funding. 
the reason why that's the case is because it's really hard to get funding. Okay, so understanding that going into it and putting together a plan to uh, to attack the fundraising um, uh, beast, that if you will, is is important. I like that point of view. I'm glad that you said it was a tough ride um, because from the outside looking in, it sounds cool to get funding to help jumpstart your business. But as soon as you take that money, you're on the hook and you have the pressure to get your investors a good return on their investment. So in your opinion, what are some key things that someone should focus on if they're taking on that commitment? Well, I mean, as, as once you start taking on outside capital, then there's just another element of your business that becomes part of your business. And that other element becomes maximizing shareholder value. Okay. So on one hand, you still have to make sure that you're serving your customers. You're, you're either um, enhancing or improving your business so that you can continue to uh, serve your customers and provide your customers with an excellent um, shopping experience or with an excellent service if you're, if you're a service business. <clears throat> but on the other hand, you also have to make sure you're maximizing shareholder value. So the way you do that is to continue to have a valuable business, to continue to grow a business that provides value. So um, it's, it, it, it sounds like it's simple, but I think the way you do that is you set goals, whether it's short-term, long-term, um, you know, and, and, you, and you do everything you can to execute on those goals. So, you know, whether it's you doing it personally or you surrounding yourself with the, the right amount of people or the right people, right talent, talent to do it. Um, I think that's the most important part uh, of, uh, of, of growing a business and also make sure you maximize shareholder value. So uh, once the outside investors come in, then just understanding that there is another element that you have to consider, and that's, again, maximizing shareholder value and while at the same time continuing to grow the business. And the growth is part of maximizing shareholder value the customer experience and, and improving the business and enhancing the customer experience is providing maximum, is providing uh, shareholder value, maximum shareholder value. So those are the, the things to consider once you start taking outside capital from investors. A common theme throughout this interview has been value. And that's because as a business, if you could provide real value, you could be successful. But if a company wants to be successful long-term, it has to be able to react and evolve to the market. What are some things that you try to do when it comes to looking into the future and mapping out a path to where you think the market is going? Well, I think what you do is you stay attuned to current affairs. I think you set up a, 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 cult, a culture within your company where the focus is on uh, continuing to change so that you can continue to grow and so that you can continue to provide value uh, to your customers, to, to, your, to your shareholders. So for example, with, with Court Buddy, we have meetings weekly that's dedicated solely to ideas that our employees are coming up with. I have to come up with ideas uh, as the CEO, all the way down to interns. And, you know, everyone is coming together 
to what, what they're coming up with ideas and they're bringing them to the table um, so that we can ensure that we're constantly growing, that we're constantly changing, that we're constantly providing value to our customers, uh, to our to our investors. So um, I think that's one of the keys, just uh, understanding what's going on in the world, uh, being proactive and saying, look, I am going to make changes. I know who I am or I know what this what my company can do and what we are doing. So we're going to be the catalyst of change. We're not going to be reactive or take a reactionary approach. We're going to be proactive. So um, I think that's, you know, one of the ways to to uh, ensure that you're constantly creating value. Now, I, I like that idea, you know, having a meeting just to hear everyone out, everyone's ideas, what they think of the company, um, because I've worked for companies in the past where, you know, when it starts at the interview, you know, they, you know, they talk big game or that they're innovative, you know, they want to hear everybody's point of view, but then once you're in the system, it seems like no one wants to listen to you or um, they just don't care what, you know, the lower level people have to think when it comes to the company and the direction of the company. So I, I definitely think that's a good trait to have as a, as a company within the culture, not only, you know, not only, you know, given everyone the idea that they're being listened to, but also that they're part of the process of that growth. You know, I think it just would help with retention and, 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 and overall production. Um, the reason why I think that's important for everyone to contribute is because, you know, interns or, um, you know, entry-level employee may see things that a CEO or, or top-level executive may not see or a manager may not see, right? So there's different layers to a company. And so um, the way the CEO views the company or, or, or envisions the world or envisions uh, an idea uh, maybe or or sees an experience maybe different than what an intern or entry level employee or or anybody a manager middle manager senior director whoever whatever your title is uh, what they may see so you have to get all aspects and all angles um, from 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 all of your various resources um, whether it's CEO whether it's entry level or it's intern middle manager whatever um, because that's how you really get a full understanding of how you can grow your company, uh, you know, what the customers are, are, are feeling, their pain points, um, you know, what the shareholders are feeling uh, or what they're experiencing. Uh, those are things that contribute to the overall health of a company. James, that was a great interview. Uh, definitely look forward to seeing you guys grow and to see what Court Buddy does next. Is there anything else you want to tell our audience before you go? Uh, dream big. Continue to dream big. Uh, be big. Do big. Um, you know, I tell people all the time, uh, I come from humble beginnings, and I've been uh, fortunate and blessed and have gotten lucky, but I've also worked really, really hard, and I've worked really, really smart. And I think those are the, are the ingredients to, uh, to, to success. And this is something I say all that because this is something that uh, I, I think anybody could do if, if they if they put their minds to it and if they start off with just having that burning desire and that that dream to be big and and then they do big and next thing you know you are big. 
I want to thank James Jones Jr., the co-founder of Court Buddy, for being on the show. And if you want to hear more interviews like this, make sure you follow the All or Nothing podcast on iTunes, the Podbean app, or you can find us on our website, thecoolmedia.com. That's a wrap for this episode of All or Nothing, where we bring to you companies and CEOs that are changing the game. And I'm your host, Rodrigo Ballone.